Welcome to our weekly podcast. I'm so excited to continue our series, Love Does. This is a message series focused on strengthening and encouraging the marriages in our church. In week one, we talked about some practical biblical principles that help us fight for a stronger marriage. And then last week, we turned our attention to 1 Corinthians 13, the great hymn of love, as we began to unpack the characteristics of love that the Apostle Paul wrote about. Now, the context and the intended application for this incredible passage of Scripture is really important. So if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to go back and listen through our weekly podcast. You know, we pre-record the messages every single week, so they're always available if you miss a Sunday or if you want to share a message with a friend. The first two characteristics of love that we talked about were patience and kindness, In his book, The Love Dare, author Stephen Kendrick had this to say about these first two characteristics. Love is built on two pillars that best define what it is. Those pillars are patience and kindness. All other characteristics of love are extensions of these two attributes. I think this is important to keep in mind. And we said last week that a good starting point for demonstrating the kind of love that God wants you to have in your marriage is by looking for opportunities to be patient and kind towards your spouse. So I hope you were able to do that this past week, and I'm excited uh, to move forward in this series this week. While 1 Corinthians 13 gives us one of the clearest definitions of love in all the New Testament, it's important to remember that it's not just meant to be information about what love is. All 15 characteristics that the Apostle Paul wrote about, are in verbal form, which means they're meant to be lived out. You know, this chapter is a great example for all believers about what love does. And when we talk about the context and the intended application, even if you're not married, this is how we're supposed to live in community with other believers. And we said last week that if we're not learning to love and serve our families well in the home, then we can't expect to love and serve our church family well in the church. So I think it really does have to start in the home. Now, as we study and apply the truths of this passage, a great exercise is to replace the word love with the name Jesus. When we do that, we have four verses that perfectly describe the character of Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud, and so on. Now, the challenge will be for us to replace the word love with OCC or even your own name. So would it be accurate for us to say that OCC is patient? OCC is kind. OCC does not envy. OCC does not boast. OCC is not proud. Again, what's even more challenging than that is to put your own name before each characteristic in these verses. I don't think there's a single person listening in today who would perfectly fit this list. You know, we have to keep in mind that we're sinful people. The Bible says that we all fall short of God's glorious standard. But the good news is that as we grow in Christ, the Holy Spirit will continue to produce these godly characteristics in us. These characteristics of love should become more and more evident in our lives as we grow in maturity. So in our daily walk with Christ, we should be looking for opportunities to love God by loving the people 
who are in our circle of influence in the way that God has called us to, especially our spouse. So I say again, the goal of a series like this is not simply instruction, but transformation. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I've shared with you before how my wife is a fantastic cook. I mean, we never go hungry in our house, if you haven't noticed already. Um, She has a few cookbooks that she really likes to use. I think the Pioneer Woman is her favorite, and that's pretty cool because the Pioneer Woman is from Oklahoma, and we're from Oklahoma. I have no problem reading the recipes in her favorite cookbook, but I have no idea how to do what it says. I'm a terrible cook. I couldn't follow the recipes if my life depended on it. Well, friends, it's not meant to be that way when it comes to God's word. If you come to church on Sundays just to hear a sermon, or you tune into the podcast each week just to listen to a sermon, but you don't apply what you hear, then it's just words on a page. God's word is for learning and for living. And this series is not just meant to be informative. The goal is transformation, transformation in our lives individually and transformation in our marriages. So as we continue our series, I'd like to read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7 again, so that we all have a foundation and a starting point for where we're headed today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, this is what we read. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The first two characteristics of love, love is patient, love is kind. They say something positive by the use of a positive. But the characteristics that we're going to focus in on today say something positive by the use of a negative. Think about it this way. Sometimes, for us to learn about what something is, we also need to learn about what it is not. In this case, for us to learn about what love does, we also need to learn about what love does not do. So if you're taking notes, the first characteristic of love that we're going to talk about today is this, that love does not envy. Love does not envy. Uh, The Greek word for envy is the word zeloi. Zeloi. And this uh, word is used in both a positive and a negative way throughout the New Testament. Here in 1 Corinthians 13, it's used in a negative way. I think it's easy to see that. Love does not envy. This word means zealous, uh, marked by zeal, or a word that we're all familiar with, jealous or jealousy. When this word is used in a positive way, It's highlighting a right kind of jealousy that's based on love. And when the word is used in a negative way, it's highlighting a wrong kind of jealousy that's based on envy. 
Now, you might be thinking, when is jealousy ever a positive thing? Well, the right kind of jealousy happens when someone you love, in this case, your spouse, since we're talking about marriage, turns his or her heart away from you and replaces you with something else. So instead of prioritizing the marriage, the husband or wife might prioritize friends, maybe a hobby or even work. Instead of prioritizing the marriage, the husband or wife might decide to have an affair, giving themselves physically and emotionally to someone else. In any of these situations, the other spouse will likely have a justified jealous anger because of their love for their spouse. They jealously long to have that person back. The Bible describes God as having this kind of righteous jealousy for his people. Exodus chapter 34 verse 14 says, You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. So it's not that God is envious of us, wishing that he had what we have. I mean, the Bible is very clear that everything that we have belongs to God anyway. The righteous jealousy that God has for his people is a longing for us. God wants us to keep him as our first love. We have to remember that throughout Scripture, the story of the Bible is that we were created by God. We were created for the glory of God, and yet we often choose to live in isolation from God, rebelling against Him. God doesn't want us to allow anything to take precedence over Him in our lives. And this would be an example of how the word zelo is used in a positive way way. Now the wrong kind of jealousy is the opposite of love and is rooted in selfishness. This is being jealous or envious of another person's success. In fact, you can go as far as to say that when someone succeeds, this kind of jealousy um, does not want them to have good things. It's growing bitter towards a friend At school, when you get a B on an assignment and they get an A, it's harboring hatred towards another person when they get all the attention at work and you don't. The Christians in Corinth, they really struggled with the wrong kind of jealousy. And 2,000 years later, friends, we do too. There will always be people in your life who have more than you have. There's always going to be people in your life who get the promotion first or who get more of the attention. There's always going to be someone who's taller, always someone who's thinner, more athletic, and better looking. But if you don't learn how to win the battle with envy, you're going to really struggle in life, and you're going to struggle in your walk with Christ. James chapter 3, verse 16 reminds us that for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So this is the wrong kind of jealousy. And this is true wherever you go, but I believe it's especially true in the home. We're usually not jealous or envious of disconnected strangers, people whom we're not connected to. The people we're most tempted to be jealous of are primarily in our circle of influence, family members, co-workers, and even our church family. And if we're not careful, jealousy can invade and harm our marriages. When you said, I do, you were given the role of becoming your spouse's biggest supporter, their their biggest cheerleader. But if you allow selfishness to take over, any good thing that happens to your spouse will become a breeding ground for jealousy instead of support. 
You know, I've talked with couples who become jealous and bitter when their spouse enjoys an evening out with friends and they have to stay home, maybe uh, doing housework or laundry. And then to retaliate, they have to plan a guy's night out or a girl's night out the very next weekend to try and one-up their spouse. In their mind, this seems like fairness, but fairness doesn't mean that everybody gets the same thing. Fairness means that everybody gets what they need. So instead of being happy for their spouse, they harbor bitterness and jealousy. When Paul wrote that love does not envy, he was pointing out that real love is not selfish. Real love puts others first. Real love refuses to let jealousy in. So the kind of love that Paul is talking about should lead you to celebrate the success of your spouse rather than resenting them. A loving husband doesn't mind if his wife is better at something than he is. A loving husband doesn't mind if she has more fun or gets more applause from other people. He sees her as completing him, not competing with him. A loving wife doesn't mind if her husband shares about shooting a great score in golf while she stayed home. Instead of wanting to shoot him, she celebrates with him. She sees him as completing her, not competing with her. Friends, we have to be intentional about letting love destroy envy when it starts to spring up in the heart and in our marriages. So this first characteristic of love is so important. Love does not envy. The second characteristic of love that we're going to talk about today is this. Love does not boast. Love does not boast. Now, the Greek word for boast is a really, really long word. It's too hard for a guy from Oklahoma to pronounce. But what Paul is saying here is this. The loving person does not seek a platform to parade their own accomplishments. When a person's life has been transformed by the gospel, regardless of how successful they are in the world's eyes, regardless of how smart they are or how gifted they are, they no longer need to be in the spotlight, parading their accomplishments for everyone to see. And that's because saved people understand that it's not about us. It's about Jesus. In fact, everything that we have and anything that we're able to accomplish in this life is all because of him. John chapter 15, verse 5. This is an incredible verse with an incredible promise. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, towards the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, this, this passage that we're studying, Paul wrote that without love, we are nothing. And then here in John 15, we're reminded that apart from Christ, we can't add anything of value to God's kingdom. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So without love, we are nothing. And apart from Christ, we can do nothing. The Christians in Corinth were spiritual show-offs. And they were boasting about their gifts. They were boasting about their accomplishments. In an earlier chapter, Paul actually reminded them about an important principle when it comes to boasting. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? It's so easy for us to desire the spotlight. And it's hard to purposely remove ourselves from the spotlight. If we're not careful, uh, boasting, seeking a platform to parade our accomplishments, it's going to harm the church and it can even harm your marriage. For example, if you're only happy when you're in the spotlight, 
You know, you're the one who's always having to have the new things. You always have to pick what you eat for dinner. The vacation has to be all about you meeting your needs. And you're only interested in the conversation if you're at the center of it. And your marriage is going to suffer. So instead of looking for opportunities to steal the spotlight, we need to remember these words about Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what would your marriage look like if you decided to take the path of humility? Instead of everything being about me, myself, and I, what if you looked for opportunities to serve and to meet the needs of your spouse first? What would your marriage look like if you were intentional about removing the spotlight and you chose humility? Paul reminds us that love does not boast. Well, the third and final characteristic for today is this. Love is not proud. Love is not proud. Um, This characteristic is another angle on the same issue. Now, the Greek word for proud is the word fuziutai. Fuziutai. And I shared that word with my wife this week, and she said it sounds kind of Japanese. And uh, I checked the pronunciation, and that's how you say it. So this is a a Greek word that sounds kind of Japanese, but that's besides the point. It's a fun word to say, but it means to puff oneself up like a pair of bellows. Now, a pair of bellows, that's a device that pushes out a strong blast of air. You you kind of push it in and out. You use it to, to start a fire. And I think that's actually a really good illustration. You know, if you puff yourself up like a pair of bellows, you can expect a fire. If you were to walk around the Christian book section at Barnes & Noble uh, today, it wouldn't take long for you to see how challenging this characteristic really is. I mean, God's word tells us that love is not proud. It doesn't puff up like a pair of bellows, yet a good number of so-called Christian books today have titles like Be the Best Version of You, Be Your Own Boss, Live Your Best Life Now, or You Are Enough. This is sad. Most of these books are pointing people to self instead of pointing them to Jesus. I see so many Christian couples these days buying books like this, reading these books, bringing them into their home and ultimately into their marriage. You know, when we build a faith on self, we shouldn't be surprised when we're left unfulfilled, when we feel lost or even hurt. And we shouldn't be surprised when there's a lack of joy in our marriage because We've made it all about self. So in a world that exalts or even celebrates ego, it's hard not to join the race. But please don't miss the importance of this characteristic. Alistair Begg rightly said that where arrogance has a big head, love has a big heart. Love is concerned to give itself, not assert itself. I think we're starting to see a pattern about love. Agape love, the kind of love that Paul was writing about, is sacrificial. It's selfless. It's not an emotion or a feeling. It requires action. It's important for us to understand that as long as two sinful, imperfect people are living together under one roof, that includes every married couple listening in today, there will always be a struggle with all of these characteristics. Again, we fall short of God's perfect and and holy standard. 
The goal is to pursue Christ individually and together as a couple, allowing the Holy Spirit to grow these godly characteristics in you. Now, there are two more characteristics that I wanted to touch on today, and that is love is not rude and love is not self-seeking. I believe these two are very similar to the first three and are more easily understood and applied. So I just want to encourage you um, to reread 1 Corinthians 13 this week. Pray about these things as it relates to your marriage. Ask God to give you his wisdom and the opportunities to demonstrate love to your spouse in the right way this week. Each week throughout this series, we're going to have the opportunity to hear from different married couples in our church family. I'm really excited about the couples who are going to share this weekend because uh, they're the newlyweds in our church. And uh, we're going to ask some difficult questions, but also some questions that are going to encourage uh, newlyweds and and dating couples. We're going to pray uh, for all of our newlyweds this week. So tune in live. And friends, I can't wait to continue this series with you.